You're listening to Book Stories, a podcast about bookstores, books, and book culture. I'm your host, Vic Singh. This week, we're up in Mendocino, California, a tiny arts colony about four hours, give or take, north of San Francisco on the Pacific Coast. I talked to Christy Olson Day. She owns Gallery Bookshop there. Aside from checking all the boxes on what makes bookstores magical places, it easily holds the crown for bookstore with the most amazing view. It's right on the edge of a cliff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. Mendocino and Gallery are special, special places and worth a visit if you've never been. Here's our conversation. Um, so let's uh, let's start at the beginning. What's the store's history? If you could just kind of encapsulate it for us in your own words. Oh, sure. Um, well, it was founded in 1962, uh, and it was actually, you know, the, the lore is that uh, this woman, you know, just kind of started it in her living room, which was kind of upstairs from where the store is now. But soon after that, sold it to, to a woman who turned it into a, a you know, a, more of a traditional business. Her name was Betty. And uh, she uh, she had the place for twenty some years. Sold it to to my predecessor and former boss, Tony. And uh, and and at that point, it, it kind of started to grow. That was in the eighties. He um, he opened separately a, a standalone children's bookstore and a separate stationery store that were all in different storefronts, kind of sprinkled around Mendocino. And then as as space became available, sort of brought them in under one roof. So it's been, you know, a, a bigger store since the mid '80s as those three came together, and we're still—that's why we're still called Gallery Bookshop and Bookwinkles Children's Books. And there's plenty of locals who still talk about going to Bookwinkles, meaning our children's department. It's still called Bookwinkles, which was the name of that separate children's store. How did that? So name... then I came to work here. Uh-huh. I was just going to say, how did that name? How did those names come to to, to be? Do you know the, any any backstories there? Oh. Well, the gallery bookshop, it's because it was originally kind of an art, art, art supplies and books. Um, so gallery was, you know, actually meant art gallery. And, you know, there's lots of, lots of art galleries and a kind of a tradition of art in Mendocino. Um, Bookwinkles was named actually uh, just a, like a community, um, you know, it was crowdsourced before we called it that. Uh, it was, you know, the community was asked to submit ideas and then one was chosen. And only later did... Did uh, Tony and uh, the book the booksellers at that time find found find out that I think Winkle means um, shop in uh, Dutch. Oh, uh, so so Bookwinkle is actually you know I don't think that the person who nominated it um, had that in mind, but has has a nice connection there. Um, and the building, do you own, like do you own the building or do you lease the building from somebody? No, I don't own the building. We we lease it from a, a group of eleven people who own it together, and it's not just our space either. It's kind of this whole corner of the block. Yeah, I I I've always the reason I'm asking is because I whenever I'm there, I always wonder like how cool it would be to have the apartment or like the space above you with the view <gasps> with the view and. Um, beautiful yeah. too they're so beautiful they were remodeled not too long ago they're absolutely gorgeous up there and the view is amazing and yeah are they apartments yeah there's there are um let's see there's three residential spaces upstairs from us and then there's another residence above the water tower behind us that's also part of the property so it's a number it's a number of little buildings gathered around a grassy courtyard um and they're all you know considered part of the Jarvis Nichols building Got it. Um, 
which was originally built, the main part, the part we're in was originally built to be a general, it was a general store. Um, yeah, storage upstairs. The the reason I, I asked the question is I, I recently spoke to um, somebody in Denver who opened a concept bookstore and they have a second level and they Airbnb the second level to like traveling writers, writers that are passing through and literary people. They use it for their events. And so I when, I, when she was telling me that, I was thinking of your store and I was thinking of that room on top and I was like, wow, like I wonder if that's something that they do or if that's like a thing and how cool Cool it would, how cool it would be. And, yeah. and, and your view is probably, um, uh, for people that haven't been there, it's safe to say you guys have the best ocean view, I think, out of any bookstore that I've ever been to, at least. I, I think that might be true. Be- yeah. Best view of any bookstore I've been to as well. I mean, I you know, I might have to arm wrestle somebody over that someday, right. but I it's, pretty, it's a safe claim so far. Yeah, there might be something on Nantucket somewhere or something, but I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it with my eyes, so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's go. Let's go. I interrupted you. Let's go back to you for a minute. What's your background? How do you how do you come into the gallery uh, story? Um, well, I uh, I had I was new I was new to town and I had planned to not work for a little while. Um, this was like I said in 1998. I was in my late 20s. Um, I had been working. I had I I was married and I had been the one with the, the quote real job. Um, and this was up in Washington state while my husband finished school. And then when he got his, uh, teaching credential, I thought, well, I don't really like my, my job. I was in management, nonprofit management. I was sort of a middle management manager for the YMCA. Okay. And although I liked the, you know, I liked being part of a nonprofit. I didn't really like being part of a bureaucracy. And, um, so I thought, well, you know, I've been, I've been working. He's been going to school now that he's going to, worked as a teacher, I can take some time off. And we wanted to live um, near the ocean. So he applied for jobs all up and down the West Coast from here north. Mendocino was the very southernmost uh, spot he applied. And so when we moved here for his teaching job, yeah, I was going to just, you know, at least take a a couple months off. I mean, I'm not talking about living a life of leisure, but, you know, I won't work for a little while. But as it turned out, um, I was wandering around town, not working, uh, and and saw that, as as people often do. Yeah, and saw that the bookstore was hiring, and and you know, I, I, that's one of those things I had always thought. You know, working at a bookstore sounds great, um, and just kind of kind of accidentally came to work here, and it turned out to be everything that I, you know, it. There's not that many things in life that you always thought sounded fun, and then you do them, and they're just as great as you always hoped. But for me. Book selling is one of those things. Interesting. So I, yeah, so I came to work here, you know, and worked full-time and then part-time and through having a couple of kids. And uh, we got to the point where we thought we might move back to the Seattle area where we're from. And I started asking myself what, what would keep me here and realized that one of those things, one of the things that would keep me here would be if I could, you know, have a more of a career in, in book selling and uh, maybe own it. And so, I just kind of like casually sent an email to my boss at the time that said, "Hey, you know, I mean, teased him a little bit. You're you're getting a few gray hairs. If you if you ever want to retire, you know, you know, maybe talk to me." Thinking we were talking, you know, like vague possibilities, and you know, sure. he shoots back an email that says, "I'm I'm ready. I've been preparing the store for sale. Let's get together." <laughs> wow, so, that yeah. that easy. Yeah. Well, it was, yeah, it was, I wasn't really ready. You know, I had yeah. a, my 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 daughter was just barely two 
and I didn't have any money. So <laughs> I kind of was like, oh, dude, I didn't mean right now. Uh, but he, he meant right now, so we did it. That sounds like the Green Apple story that I heard, too, where they basically decided to buy it, and and the owner just kind of came up with a creative way to finance the transaction. Was that similar? Was that a similar situation for you, or did you have to come up with the money? Uh, no, that's pretty much what happened. He financed most of it. Um, I bar- and I borrowed some to have a down payment for him. But I like I I I borrowed every last dollar to buy to buy the business. And the previous previous owner carried most of that. Um, not not super eagerly, I have to say. I mean, no, he's been incredibly supportive. I just mean that wasn't his original intention. Right. He he had hoped to be cashed out, but then I think I think as he thought about it, he he realized that. He also really wanted to make sure it continued and yeah. wanted somebody yeah. that, that he thought could actually do it. So, in the form yeah. in the form that he kind of had shaped it into, kind of, right? Right. Yeah, right. That's the beauty of, of selling your selling your baby to an employee is that they they, <laughs> they understand it. Yeah. No, it's I've at least I don't want to say a dozen, but at least a half dozen people the the bookstore succession has gone to someone who uh, worked in the store for a considerable amount of time. And there's something to be said for that, for sure. I think so. Um, so you have owned Gallery since when? When did you? When did the sale take place? Uh, that was in 2006. 2006. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, coming up on 12 years. And how, in general, how how are things? Like, how have things been on, on your watch? Uh, pretty good, I think. I mean, there, it, it's, it's, it's not easy and... For the most part, it's not getting any easier. Although, actually, the last couple of years have been pretty, pretty great. But you know, there have been there have been some moments. So I bought it in two thousand six. You know, and then like Great Recession happened pretty quickly after that. And yeah. Then, uh, I'm sure tourism. I'm sure tourism dropped quite a bit around that time. It Is, did. Yeah. It sure did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people book, books themselves are somewhat um, somewhat recession proof, right? Yeah. Like yeah. That they're they're kind of an affordable luxury, but um, tourism. Yeah, it, we we didn't see as many visitors for a couple of years there, and that makes a big difference. But then we also had there was a fire upstairs here in those beautiful apartments you were talking about. Yeah, um, and you know that that was that was after it was maybe a year and a half after I bought the store. There was a fairly catastrophic fire. That's in fact why the whole upstairs of this building is now beautiful is because it was replaced uh, not too long ago. Um, was the fire also the motivation behind your remodel? I saw in pictures that you had done some significant like reshelving or reconfiguration. Um, was that coincide, did that coincide with the fire or was that something separate? Well, I think that's it. We just did that just recently. So okay. I, don't, I don't know if that's what, what you're referring to. We did that just recently because one of our neighbors retired. Okay. Um, a little, our, our, our next door neighbor retired and we had a chance to, you know, turn two spaces into one. Um, again, that's, you know, this, our store is now one large space that at one point was three separate spaces. So we kind of just keep breaking down walls and getting bigger. Um, so yeah, our neighbor retired and, and we got about 30% bigger just last month. So what is your sellable square footage now? Uh, it's about 3000. Okay. What does a typical day look like for you? Just walk me through, uh, take listeners through what happens on a typical day at gallery bookshop. Yeah. Well, I am, I'm the main buyer for, for uh, up until recently, I did pretty much all the book buying and just, just recently if, uh, one of our longtime booksellers took over the children's buying. So I'm, I'm the buyer and then also the sort of, you know, CEO, general manager. Um, so that's a, a lot of what takes up my days. I really try to work at least one day a week 
as a bookseller on the floor. I mm-hmm. um, haven't been able to do it much lately, um, but that's that's sort of a, in a perfect world. That's what I do um, because I love I love to be out there. Um, but usually I'm I'm uh, in in and out of the office. I'm um, going over catalogs of forthcoming books. You know, and picking out what we're going to stock in the store. So, as the frontless buyer, I'm I'm doing that a lot, and then meeting with sales reps. Either, either they drive all the way out here, bless their hearts, um, and we and we sit and we go over the list and choose what we're going to carry. Um, or I'm doing the backlist buying. You know, taking a look book by book, title by title, at what we sold out of yesterday, and making a decision on each one about you know. Do we let it go? Do we replace it immediately? Or can we wait a week or two and, and replace it with our next big order from that publisher? Um, and then, you know, I'm also, um, I do some of the event scheduling and um, do some customer service by email and all those other little things. Day-to-day that, things, sure. Yeah, all, the, all that little little day-to-day stuff. It takes a lot, it takes a lot of, that's not, I don't think that's anybody's favorite part of no. running a business. No. But <laughs> the, the, the fantasy of owning a business is really great and, and like especially taking over an existing business or starting a new one. But as soon as you get into the nitty gritty, it's a lot of people question a lot of things, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so being in Mendocino, um, it's like you, you just kind of alluded to it. It's not the most accessible place. Like, you know, f- even for us, we live in Southern California in Los Angeles. We have to, we can conceivably drive all the way up there, but we take a plane and then we get a car and, you know, there's multiple kind of layers to get there. Is it challenging or are you able to get, I guess my question is, are you able to get, um, authors out there on a, I don't want to say consistent, but are you, are they, is it a thing? Like, are you able to make, draw that audience or is it, is it kind of different than other bookstores that are kind of more? Definitely. Yeah. It's definitely different in that we yeah we don't get too many authors on publisher po- sponsored tours okay because um, you know they're they're trying to build efficient schedules for yeah. their authors and um, every once in a while every once in a while that works out usually it's because um, and every once in a while we get a, like a really big name author typically it's someone who says I want to go out there yeah and if and if it's a big name author. It, you know, then, then they get what they want. Um, but in terms of, you know, just the publisher tours that are developed by, you know, a publicist in New York, every once in a while I get a phone call, you know, Hey, would you like to host so-and-so? And then we start making plans and it, and then it turns into, wait, you're how far from San Francisco? Right. <laughs> it doesn't look that far on a map. It yeah. doesn't look like it's going to take it's the three road. or four hours to it's get the road. here. Yeah, yeah. It's the road. Yeah. So we get, you know, we have to be kind of resourceful about, I think we have a, a a good events program. Our community really appreciates it, especially since like, you know, there is no, you may have noticed there's no nightlife in Mendocino. No, well, um, that's, like that's why we like it. Everything closed. Yeah. Yeah. Everything closes in the evening. So we're often like, you know, if you don't feel like just like watching the sunset or going back to your hotel room, you know, or, or, sitting at a bar <laughs> then uh, you definitely like the, we're one of the last places open and having an evening events is like you know sometimes the only thing going on in town so business wise what what's your formula so like how do you how do you approach curation like what are your thoughts on cur- curation like how do you choose the titles that you're going to have in the store and then how do you how do you think about events what do you, what kinds of events do you schedule and uh like just your general philosophy and thoughts on both of those things well, I mean, I think that, you know, as uh, there's curating, I mean, there's a lot of talk these days about, about gatekeepers and how, 
some players in in publishing and books book selling are sort of like wanting to do away with gatekeepers, but I kind of think of booksellers as like I mean we're we're we are proud gatekeepers, you know, and and we and we um we're, we're part of a we're part of a system that actually distills this curation process down, right? It starts with maybe an agent, and then an editor, you know, and then the, the publisher, the 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 book buyer, you know, my role is the buyer for this store. And then our frontline booksellers role as, as people who are recommending and pointing people to specific, it's like a funnel of gatekeepers or curators, however you want to look at it. That, that, and the reader is sort of the end point of like, out of all this overwhelming amount of information out there and, and options, um, you know, we're sort of distilling it down to something that we think is special. Um, so definitely that said, um, our buying philosophy at this store has always been like, I, I'm more about trying to, trying to think, is there one person out here that will be interested in this weird book? And if I think that maybe there's one, like we're going to put it on the shelf. Um, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not trying to only pick the, the, the big, the big books or the, um, the ones that we think we're going to sell hundreds of copies. So like the I'm, obvious I'm all choices. Strange, strange things. Yeah, I'm all about trying to put strange things. And I get super delighted when I pick something really weird and then notice a couple months later that somebody bought it. You know, that just renews my faith in humans. Uh, but I mean, but I mean, we, we, I, I think, I think of booksellers as gatekeepers in the best possible way. And that, you know, we, we do this in a, um, with a, there's a real kind of, we take that responsibility seriously. I take it seriously. And I think there's kind of an ethics to it. You know, we, we don't, there's pretty much nothing we won't buy for a customer if they want it, you know, and, and we do routinely stock books that we don't particularly like if we have noticed that our customers just straight up want them. You know, I'm not, I, I think there are some stores that aim for being a boutique that reflects a particular person's taste. And that's great. That's one way to do it. That's not the way we do it. We'd really try to think for our customers and, you know, figure out what, what they want and make sure it's in front of them. Um, and then put a bunch of other interesting things in front of them that they don't know they want yet too. Um, and then for curating author events, I mean, like you mentioned, it's not, it's, it's a different challenge out here. We're so far away. But it's kind of the same thing. Like, just like when I look at, you know, thousands of books every season and think to myself, I don't know, is there somebody, is there, do I have, do I have one customer who wants to buy one copy of this one book? And if so, that's enough. It's kind of the same thing, though we don't get a lot of requests to host authors on, on the publisher tours. We do get a lot of, a lot of requests to host authors and it's kind of like, well, okay, can we make this work? Is there a way we can make this work? And, and uh, if we think we can, we can turn it into a pleasant experience for everybody, then we go for it. So we end up hosting all kinds of people. I'm actually super excited today. I have to say today is May the 4th, right? And we actually, we, we have an author in the store today who worked on the star Wars movies, like may the, may the fourth be with you. Oh, wow. Uh, we're, we're, oh, we're, pretty, gotcha. we're pretty proud. Yeah. Uh-huh. We're pretty proud of that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, we have to, we have three events this weekend. Were they just passing through town, or was it was it a pre-scheduled? It, he, he called in advance to, to see about scheduling something, and it, it we just turned out that we could make it work on this day. That's really cool. So we have, you know, and it's often it's like that's a um, it's often you know not the not the great big 
publishers and not the great big books that they have out on tour. Tomorrow we have um, a guy who wrote a book about the uh, changing dynamic in San Francisco, and, and he's published by a small press. Um, and he's going to be speaking in the store. And then the next day we have, uh, an author, you know, with a children's book, who's just going to be at a table doing a, doing a book signing. So we have things going on with three, three, three author events this weekend. Um, but none of them are, you know, great big titles out on tour. Do you do non-book events? Um, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> like I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking like uh, I'm this notion of bookstores as community spaces. So mm-hmm. using using the space for workshops, classes, uh, lectures, talks, that type of thing is. Uh, I'm trying to get a sense for what the community, um, the local community, the tra- the tourist community, what what types of things kind of get people excited up there. Yeah. Well, I have been hosting. This is not a money-making um, venture, but it's a community relations, I guess, and it's just making the world a better place kind of a project. I've been host- I've been hosting a monthly um, political action, you know, citizens group since uh, January of 2017. Um, I wonder why. Resistance, resistance <laughs> potluck is what we call it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, the, the, and we use the date, the date of the, the date of the founding uh-huh. is purely coincidental yeah. and has nothing to do with Isn't what's it? going on in the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. Just, just because it happened that way. Yeah. Yep. But, uh, and, and, and that always, that always seems to me like a, that seems like a kind of a natural that books, bookstore, a bookstore is a kind of a, uh, a, a political center makes sense to me. For sure, a, a place, um, a place, so. a place where ideas and thought can be exchanged. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's what we're here for. So, somebody, so a young person comes to you, and this is a hypothetical, um, and and says, "Hey, Christy, I, I'm I'm thinking about opening a bookstore. Um, what advice do you have for me? Like, what are what are two or three things I need to do, or I need to have checked off the box right off the bat to be successful? What would you say to someone like that?" Um, well, you know, the cool thing is that, that it, a variation on that actually happened to me last month in the, a way that was so delightful to me. I was actually down in San Jose with my kids. We were going to Comic-Con, and there was this great new little coffee shop around the corner from our hotel, and we went there every day that we were there. And one of the mornings, I'm over there getting our coffee, and I was wearing my books, my bookstore day T-shirt from last year, and the girl, the young woman at the counter she had a copy of a classic on the on the counter next to her. I'm trying to remember what it was. Anyway, she had a book there. And I'm paying for my coffee and she says, Oh, bookstore day, that's that's coming up, isn't it? And you know, we had a little conversation. She said, I'm I'm actually, you know, I'm finishing up my English degree and I really want to open a bookstore. And I was I got so excited. I was like, Oh, great. It's a really good time to do it, you know. It's there's more bookstores now than there were five years ago. There's lots of young people opening bookstores. Good for you. You should do it. Join the ABA. I was, you know, I, I think one of the amazing things about the book industry is like bookstore people are uncannily supportive of each other. I mean, there's this collegial atmosphere amongst booksellers that is just extraordinary. You know, like we're all ready to help each other to a degree that I think is really just downright weird um, in retail. But so it's and it's fantastic for people opening stores. You know, there's so many resources and so much support from fellow bookstore owners. So I told her that. And um, what I didn't tell her, you know, like to me, I, 
because I worked in a store before taking it over, I actually can't really imagine opening a bookstore if you haven't worked in one before. Now, I know people who have done it and done a stellar job and are very impressive and maybe, you know, think more divergently because they haven't been in the business. But personally, like the thought of ever trying to open and run a bookstore without having worked in someone else's is just like, I can't quite get my head around that. So that, those would be my two pieces of advice would be, you know, go to work in a bookstore first and um, and then make sure you connect with the greater bookselling community because it's one of the things that's really kind of our superpower, I think. Yeah, I've heard that echoed numerous times and um, it only it only gets reaffirmed the more I hear it. So you're right. It is, it yeah. is, it is a curious animal from uh, the book retail industry. It's not so in other place in other industries or in other trades. I feel like some of that has to do with the fact that it's, um, they're fiercely independent businesses and, and you kind of are, you kind of choose the, though you don't get to choose the price, you choose the content, you choose what you fill your stores with. So in a way you're not really competing with anybody except your, your own sort of environment and, you know, the, the local marketplace that you're serving. Yep. I think too, I think that we are all Maybe not all, but I think most of us are uniquely driven by a, a sense of purpose. You know that that we're doing this. Be, you know, not not the the, the the primary the driving force isn't I want to run a successful retail business. You know, I want to build it into something and make money and sell it. Um, all of that's great, and it's part of the challenge, and it's a pleasure, and it's creative and exciting. But I think that for many of us, like the underlying purpose, we're just really driven by the sense that a world with bookstores is a better world. And somebody has to do this work, and somebody has to fight to keep doing this work, and it's really important. And And I think on some level, for most of us, it's like, you know, the most important thing for me is that there be, say, bookstores on the Mendocino Coast, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not going to act like a, a cutthroat competitor toward the other bookstores on the Mendocino Coast because we're both serving the same purpose. We're all serving the same purpose. On the same street that you're on, I don't know if it's still there, but I remember just up the road a little bit, like towards the highway, there's a used bookstore inside of a house. Is that still mm-hmm. is that still there? It is still there, yeah. And are you affiliated with them in any way, or is it a completely separate thing? Uh, you know, affiliated, like, you know, as neighbors. As neighbors, uh, yeah, <laughs> but, but no, no, no business, yeah, no business interests. Yeah. No, no, we refer people down there, you know, it's like, oh, we don't have that one in, but you might find a used copy, or if you're looking for used books, um, you know, and, and um, at one point, Gallery Bookshop, is before my time, carried used books as well, or I should say dipped their toe in the water, tried carrying used books for a while and then stopped. Um, and, you know, it's a, a lot of indie stores that sell both feel like that's a really important, you know, part of the formula for success. And perhaps one day we will carry used books, but that's exactly like the, I, like I think Mendocino is a better town um, for, you know, having these two bookstores and sure. I, I would, I, I, I'm kind of keeping my hands out of used books. Um, as long as we have a thriving used bookstore, I don't, I don't want to, I don't need to go there. Uh, if he wants to retire, then we might, you know, we might take up that mantle. 
No, it would be cool. It's it, again the the juxtaposition of having a new and used on the same street of a small little community says so much about the community because there are so many other types of businesses or other types of needs that uh, a small little place with a couple of main streets, if you will, has. Like there's all these different other businesses that could be there, but there's there's a conscious choice to have two bookstores on the same road, yep. and that says a lot about Mendocino. And for quite a long time, there was actually three. There was like an, there was another new bookstore in between us for for many years. They they again, I think, retired and left the area. Um, I don't know, ten years ago, something like that. But yeah, for a long time, Mendocino supported three bookstores. Brass tack stuff. Um, what's a nagging pain point in the business for you? Is there something that you wish you could change, or if you had a magic wand, you could fix right now? Well, I, you, you may have heard about this from other bookstores because we're all constantly you know, focused on it right now. But I think what's driving everybody crazy is is the just absurd waste of energy that we spend on on our like invoicing and bill paying operations, and and uh, we're all trying to get this new automated system um, accepted by the the publishing and bookselling community in the United States. Um, so it, it a lot of it is that kind of like logistics kind of stuff you know we we because even though there are way more booksellers bookstores you know than there were five years ago um you know it's still it's not a gigantic industry and you know it's like there are these these areas where we could accomplish real gains in efficiencies you know and where larger industries i think have done so um, so anyway, that's, that's the one like we're all pushing for right now is to, to get all of our accounting and book, bookkeeping and invoice paying stuff streamlined, save us a bunch of time and we could get out there on the floor, sell books more often, um, and more effectively. I've heard a couple of people echo the same thing that, you know, there's, if there was a way to kind of standardize or like uniformly kind of spread the back office, a lot of the back office functions, you know, either regionally or, or, you know, by state, um, it would, it would allow you guys to do more. And, and there's so many industries where there's kind of universal backend, um, that would really help us. And I think we're, you know, we're making progress. I think we're going to get there. Sure. And so that's the thing right now that, that, you know, it's like, oh gosh, some, some efficiency and some of that stuff would really a little, a little go a long way. It would really help us a lot. Are you leveraging technology in any meaningful way right now to grow or scale? Um, uh, or are you, are you pretty analog? I guess another way to ask that question is, are there any technological crutches that you have right now that you really rely on for a certain aspect of your business? Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I mean, my instinct is to say no, but then I, when I think compared to other, compared to other independent retail, you know, of a, you know, the size of an average bookstore, I think we use technology a lot. We, we gallery bookshop uses technology a lot more effectively and, and maybe bookstores in general do actually, you know, for example, just, just the fact that, you know, like we, we, track all of our inventory individually down to the single item we expect it to be correct all the time we have every item available for purchase you know on our website um and you know and and we we manage that pretty intensely and accurately on a daily basis which i think you know you know many typical small independent retail stores maybe don't do that um and i think part of that is about you know what our you know our, our competitor our, our big online competitor, right. um, 
we had to face facts, you know, like 10 years ago that our customers expect to be able to go online and, and find out like, is gallery bookshop carrying, um, this individual title? And if so, can I purchase it? That's kind of what they expected, um, in, in the online bookselling world. Whereas, you know, my neighbors who have office supply stores or toy stores or, um, hardware stores, you know, customers weren't, maybe they're starting to, but they, but 10 years ago, you know, our local customers weren't expecting that I should be able to, um, you know, go to the website of my corner, um, hardware store or clothing boutique and look up what they have and, and order it, you know, that that's, I think still not expected of small independent retail stores. Um, but bookstores have been doing that for, for more than a a decade now. So I think, you know, in that sense, we're, technologically a little bit ahead of uh, typical small corner stores but i don't i don't know that we're leveraging it any big way okay and that's okay it's just a, like even even social media a lot of stores have got to get a lot of traffic and a lot of traction through like social media engagement and and that's 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 a technology um, you know for better or worse sure yeah i was going to say we you know we know we yeah we do, we definitely do we we've put some energy into our social media and we certainly it certainly helps get to get people to our events, you know, we're not selling things through, through our social media outreach, but it, we're getting people into the store and, um, you know, and all, and all that basic kind of, yeah, it's same thing. I would say, I, I feel like, I feel like we do, a, we stay in touch with our customers much, much more than the typical independent retail business it still feels like, you know, we're not doing anything special, but we're definitely doing more than, more than others, I think. And I mean that industry-wide, like bookstores more than other independent stores. Um, let me give you a personal anecdote. So when I think the first time we were up there, because you mentioned, you know, online and Amazon and, and I, 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 I do my fair share of Amazon buying. I'm, I'm going to, I'm guilty as charged, but what, uh, what happened was we were at our, we were in our, uh, hotel or bed and breakfast. I don't even know what you call it. It's some place down the road. I, I wanted to order this book. I had read about this author. She was new to me. Um, and this was 10 years ago. So Joan Didion, there was this book called the year of magical thinking. And it was a staff pick of mine 10 years ago. So, it, so um, maybe, maybe this, maybe you're responsible for what I'm going to tell you. So what happened was I tried to buy it, um, online and I wanted to see if Amazon would deliver it to my ho- to the hotel. And I checked there first and it wouldn't get there instantly. And I would have had to wait and I, uh, would have had to pay extra for shipping, um, this was probably in the early days of prime too. So it was basically a logistic, it was not logistically feasible to buy it from Amazon. And I was, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the generation of instant gratification to some extent. So I was like to my, to my wife, I said, I want this book. I want to get it. And so she's like, well, let's see if there's a bookstore in Mendocino. So we found that there was a bookstore in Mendocino and we went and I went in and I found the book and, um, it was, it, this is a true story. And I don't know if it was, if it coincides with what, you, what you, your recommendation or not, but it was face out. <laughs> it probably did. Yeah. And I'll never, and I'll never forget that it was face out and it was a book that I really wanted. And, um, I always, I grew up in bookstores and I always loved them, but I, I, I told Katie, my wife that day, I was like, you know, these places are never going to go away because, of what just happened. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of, you know, generation technology and instant gratification. And it wasn't able to help me in this particular moment, but there was a place that was. 
and that was the sort of gen- that was the, the the origin story for me and my little love affair with with gallery bookshop. Um, and then the next time, that is awesome. Yeah, no, and it was, and, and I and I, I remember reading it. The next day we left town, we drove back to San Francisco to catch a plane, and I finished the book. It's such a good book for people that haven't read it, but I read it on uh, the drive back, the long and windy, sinuous drive back to the city, and I'll just never forget that. So um, th- that's the the anecdote of technology not always being able to get you where you want to be, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I'm super happy to hear that. I love that. Yeah. Uh, were you that wor- was definitely, were yeah. you working there 10 years ago? I was, I was here. That was, a, okay. that was a staff recommendation of mine and that may well have been the reason it was face out at yeah. that time. Although, you know, and it continues, I still hand sell that and it continues to be popular it's a, it's that's it's really one of my favorite books ever she's amazing amazing book and i and i and again i got yeah. if you haven't like if you um haven't read it and you have a chance to read it in a car while driving along the coast down it's <laughs> it was just a, it was ampl- okay. amplified many times over i it's like i have to say that i'm shocked and impressed to hear that you can read on these windy roads i mean that's like <laughs> well, what it was, there was a window in time when um, we would read out loud to each other. So I was reading it out loud to her, and it's a very emotional cool. book. There were some parts where I like had to like pause and like not read it out loud. Um, but yeah. again, I'm forever tied to that book and your store because of the. There's just a nice. Uh, there's a nice that's, alchemy there. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's yeah. one of the few times I've ever been to the bookstore where what I wanted was actually face out. It was just. It was just that's destiny. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Anyway, I digress. Yeah, people get surprised. People get surprised sometimes they come in and, you know, it's like this book that they just heard about and, and it just came out and, and they're surprised and excited that it's here. And it's I'm sort of like, well, my, my job as the frontless buyer is to like figure out before you've even heard of the book, which ones you're going to come in and ask me for, you know, <laughs> like that, that's my job. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's delightful when we manage to do it. Um, one more macro question before we do a quick lightning round and wrap things up. Um, All right. are there any changes in the book industry as a whole that you'd like to see? Well, I mean, you probably have heard this from other booksellers. I, 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 we are not, we're not competing on a level playing field. And, you know, when Amazon can operate their book division at a loss for years and years and years and, and continuing to do so, I mean, it used to be, it used to be against the law to <laughs> to sell below cost in order to put your competitors out of business, right? Right. Um, and, and at some point, you know, our Justice Department decided that wasn't really uh, something that they wanted to pursue, pursue preventing people from doing anymore. And so I am, you know, that's, I continue to be uh, frustrated and angry that, and it's not just books and bookstores anymore, right? I mean, it used to be like, we are like the one little mini industry that is sort of fighting this, this thing. And, um, but now it's, you know, it's like all of retail and the fact that we are allowing, you know, this company, these companies, it's, I mean, it's, it's Amazon sort of sets the template. You can just pour capital into your your company and lose money and lose money and lose money and lose your investors money lose your venture capital money lose your lose your wall street investors money for years until you put everybody else under and you know that's bullshit that's not that was never the way it was supposed to work and we have government agencies that are supposed to be preventing it and uh, so that gets frustrating to in me. a way in a way amazon kind of they arrived 
with the rules as they were, and they kind of just found like a little loophole, kind of, if you will. Why do you think the publishers haven't changed their pricing model? Why has it why has it persisted since I guess when 1995 when Amazon really became a thing or 1996? Why have the publishing why has the publishing just kind of sat idly by? Do you have any thoughts or worldview on like why like don't they want don't they want bookstores to exist or is there some more kind of dystopian view that I'm too naive to understand? Uh, well, I do think for a while, I, it took the, it took the publishing industry a little while to realize that, um, you know, that brick and mortar independent bookstores were, were crucial to their future. I mean, that, that they were somewhat slow to realize that. I mean, I think they have realized it now. So when you say pricing model, do you mean, um, well, this whole idea, the, the, the discounting. So like they have the list price and then, yeah. and then you have the, you have the, dis, the, the wholesale price, I guess, if you will. And just being able to chew away at that wholesale margin, like why wouldn't, why didn't they, from a, from a lay person's point of view, I'm just kind of wondering why, uh, they didn't put a stop gap there, you know, like why they, they had the control. They, they were able to set the prices. They were able to kind of develop these relationships or change these relationships with distributors. Um, I feel like they, they kind of had the the purse strings or, or the the puppet strings, I guess, if you will, to control the dynamics of the of this business model. You know, the Amazons of the world and and some of the other technology uh, disruptors, if you will, they kind of just are coming in and playing on the same existing rules that were kind of laid out on them. But like you said, they have the capital to kind of turn the um, turn the the game in their favor. You know, but I feel like the publishers are are, are to some extent responsible. Yeah, they, I mean, they allowed they allowed this one, you know, customer of theirs, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, to 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 become to take up so much of their, you know, to become such a huge channel for what they sell that they pretty much gave away all that power you're referring to. You know, I mean, at this at this point now, it's like that. Mo- most of them feel that they they can't. They would not be able to. It would be a disaster if their uh, if their books were not sold through Amazon. But that phase of Amazon gobbling up that the market share that they have, yeah, I, do, I don't know. I don't know. In in retrospect, yeah, it would be it would have been nice if publishers had not given away that power. I'm not sure that I see exactly the steps they could have taken to avoid it, though, because it seems to me that the reason Amazon was able to do that was because they could afford to operate at a loss for years and years and years. And they could also, you know, another thing that actually just occurred to me while we were talking about it is that Amazon could have very easily entered the publishing business themselves and they could have disintermediated the publishers and said that, you know, writers and creators and uh, authors come to us and we will give pay you advances and we will just sell in-house. I mean, it could could have gone in so many different directions, but... um, Well, they they have tried. They have tried. They they are trying. I mean, they keep trying to do that. Yeah. Amazon really does operate it like a company that is actively trying to destroy publishing and uh <laughs> and uh, you know i have a problem with that like as a citizen i mean it, it's, it's not just it's not just like hey i love books i love books they're fun to read they make my own life better um you know they're really important to a culture and i i think that destroying destroying professional publishing uh is you know a problem is a big problem. problem agreed yeah 
um, let's let's move things on to a lighter, more happier note, um, yeah. <laughs> c- conducive to the to the view that you are enjoying over there. Um, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about Deneen pottery for a minute. So I, I told you about this oh, mug yeah. that I love. Um, it's a very durable mug. It hasn't broken. It's been dropped many times on our hardwood floors. Um, I guess uh, how did you come to choose them as your mug supplier? What's the what's the origin story there? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I do not know the answer to that because we have been selling them since before 1998 when I came to work here, but I found out a little factoid that might be related. Um, uh, I think I mentioned to you, so Deneen Pottery is actually based in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, but you know, they're a, they're a family company. They hand throw these clay mugs. They're really cool. Paul and Mary, Deneen, the sort of matriarch and patriarch of the family uh, who run the business, just like came into my store a couple weeks ago. And I was so excited to meet them because although, of course, you know, we email and whatnot, I had never met them face to face. And that was when I found out that they trained at this his, at this pottery um, down uh, around uh, on the Russian River, not too far from here, around Guerneville, I want to say. And that they had this Northern California link. And this is a historic pot- pottery of some you know, import that I had been unfamiliar with. But so I, I suspect that that might be how the connection initially made, was made, was that at one point they were Northern California people. Got but it. that goes way back. Just yeah. way back, yeah. The quality in the craftsmanship, I got to say, is is unprecedented. And I'm a mug guy. We we, we hoard mugs to, to a fault. Um, I was actually inspired because of that mug to take a ceramics class, a throwing class, because I, I, I was like, I want to I be able to make a handle the way that they made this handle and just the shape. And I went on their website and I learned about the fact that they were in St. Paul because I did all this research. I'm like, who are these people that made this mug? They've made this like amazing bulletproof yeah. mug. And why aren't more companies and more businesses using them? And it turns out they have a pretty good business of kind of being a supplier to a lot of companies like Gallery. It's uh, it's kind of a one of their one of their pretty strong streams of income, right? Right. Yeah. Because they can put the you know whatever image on on the outside of it. Like exactly. Play yeah. and it's, it's so pretty. But they are bulletproof. You know, I've only ever I've, I've personally, of course, been using them for twenty years too. And the only way I've ever managed to break one of their mugs is leaving it on top of my car and driving down the road with it and having it fall off onto the asphalt. And can I tell you, even then, it only broke into three pieces. <laughs> well, there you go. That's awesome. Shatter. <laughs> and then they are they're amazing. And my son now, he uh he knows like he's like this or like daddy's favorite mug. Like he knows exactly what my favorite mug is and um I, I love it. I love it. I'm gonna when it come up again, oh. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a second I'm gonna get a backup because I have a feeling that luck is not on my side and it's okay, it's, it's due for some breakage. You, what, yeah. Oh okay. What color do you have? I have the black one. Um and okay, it has with the, the straight sides. Uh, no, uh, man, I wish I could describe it. It's kind of, it's kind of conical. Like it's, it's narrow at the top and it gets wider at the bottom. And, um, the bottom has like a, it has like a, like a, like a crown molding, kind of like a rounded, like a fatter edge, like a little round circular thing. And then we still, we still have that one. And we actually have a slightly larger version of it now. I need to get the larger one. I'm going to get a little more coffee, a little more coffee for sure. (laughs) So cool. Again, uh, one of the things that bookstores do, they, you have some, a a lot of them have like these trinkets and these whatever to like support the business, but that is a unique, that's a unique, very unique thing. It's worth every penny. And, um, yeah, love it. What are you reading at the moment? Uh, well, I'm reading, I'm always, I almost always am reading two books at a time, nonfiction in the morning 
fiction in the evening. So um, let's see. So my uh, my evening book, actually, you know, ironically, I just finished both my books and started new ones. So my fiction, I just finished uh, this novel forthcoming this summer called Whiskey When We're Dry. Um, it's by John Larison and um, just freaking amazing uh, Western. I mean, it's about a cross-dressing gunfighter and, and, uh, wow. and it's just stunning. So good. Uh, starts out, you know, kind of your classic high desert noir kind of a thing, a little gritty and everything. And then just gets more and more intense and so beautifully written. I absolutely adored it. So I finished that and then started this novel that I think you've heard other booksellers mention set in Oakland called uh, There, There by Tommy uh, Orange. Yes. So I, start, I just started that last night and I tortured about half of it. It's pretty amazing. What nonfiction are you reading? Nonfiction, I uh, just finished up. <laughs> so my morning nonfiction reading, you know, is often kind of like, you know, like how to live a better life type stuff. Although, and you know, like I've, that was when I read um, Why Buddhism is True and uh, Michael Pollan's book that's coming out on... Um, psychedelic psychedelic medicine basically like it's called how to change your mind you know that's about using mushrooms and lsd and uh so what i just finished is this little book called um the courage to be disliked it's by a couple of japanese philosophers psychologists and i'll tell you this is just it's a little bit embarrassing but i picked it up because it said it was the life-changing magic of tidying up for the mind <laughs> Oh wow, that's and a I great that. that's a great <laughs> description. <laughs> anyway, that's that's the one that's the one I just finished. And then um The Marie Kondo uh, of the Mind. The Marie Kondo of the Mind, yes, exactly. I'm I'm not sure that I you know, I don't have hundred percent clean surfaces in my mind at this point. But it was an interesting it was an interesting little book. And then I'm starting this, uh, this one called Rising that is a journalist's look at the, the stories associated with rising, rising sea levels. So that's, that's, my, that's my, new, uh, my new morning nonfiction will be Rising. I like, to have, I like to have two different ones going at a time. That's cool. I love it. Have you noticed any sea change in Mendocino? Any, any rising or lowering? Any, any activity that you want to point out that we should be aware of or concerned about? You know, I don't anything, nothing uh, visible to the naked eye. We were hosting for a while a monthly science talk, um, not associated with a book. There's one of those like bookless events you were asking about. Uh, and he gave a couple of different presentations a few years apart, actually, on, you know, um, global warming, rising oceans and the Mendocino Coast, just sort of like about what might happen next and what, what to look for. I mean, we are, we're like 80 feet above sea level on a rocky shore, so it's erosion happens slowly, but you know it's it's always been happening, and I, I you know I'm sure it will accelerate, but you can't see it yet. <laughs> Hopefully, the view won't get too much better. Yeah, that's amazing, amazing spot. <laughs> Are there any writers out there that you'd like to mention that you think should be getting more attention than they are currently getting? Well, you said out there. I think you meant like out there in the world. Yeah, yeah, up, um, up and up and coming but, writer. <laughs> but you know, it could yeah. be it could be something that's moving in your store. You know, that's maybe not moving in another part of the country. The essence of the question is just trying to shine a light on authors out there or or writers out there that are kind of under the radar. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I will I will mention when we were talking since you were talking about we were talking about Mendocino and ocean sea level rising and so when you said out there I initially heard out here. Uh, <laughs> and you know, we do have a local writer uh who is really an extraordinarily good memoirist. Um her name's Norma Watkins and she had a first memoir published by um University of Mississippi Press and a second one recently out and she was just a, a a woman who's in her late 70s early 80s now and lived through the civil rights um era in the south and is just an excellent memoirist so that was where my mind went first was to an actual uh local local writer who widely respected she teaches at the college here and she also taught writing at, at uh, a university in florida but not as widely read as she should be um do you guys play music in the store we do. <laughs> what's a what's what's a typical day? What's on the store soundtrack on a typical on any typical day? Well, for a long time we sold and still do sell Putumayo World Music CDs, and so some of it's that. Um, our our rule has always been no English language vocals. So, because you know you're reading, and right. so it would be all, all instrumental stuff or um, or vocals in another language. Uh, and we sometimes put on, you know, so it's like some classical, some world music, some jazz, usually kind of mellow and quiet. And then on Friday and Saturday nights, when we're open later, we stay open um, into the evening. And on those nights, it's kind of up to the staff to put on whatever they want on the stereo, as long as. As long as nobody is visibly troubled, <laughs> so we, you know, we we open it up then. <laughs> That's a good bar to have. Like no no visibly yeah. troubled customers in the store. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, cause no visible distress. Sure. If you weren't a bookseller, what do you think you'd be doing? Well, huh? Um, well, I studied art in school, and ironically, I kind of like burned out and got out of it because I couldn't quite. I didn't. I I couldn't handle the prospect of trying to uh, make a living and make a business out of making art. Like that just was really. I I couldn't. It, it turned my stomach to think <laughs> to think of you know like trying to sell my work. Um, so I bailed on that. And uh, so it's kind of ironic then that I ended up running a business. It's nothing I ever thought I would want to do. Um, so artist was the original plan. Uh, and then I come from a family of teachers. My parents are both teachers. My sister teacher and now a high school librarian. I married a teacher. Uh, so it seems possible that maybe I would have been an art teacher. Yeah, I think I would have been an art teacher. Complete the sentence for me. Mendocino is. <laughs> uh, beautiful. It's beautiful. Couple more. Um, what book have you recommended the most over the years to people? Oh, um, uh, might be The Sea Runners by um, Ivan Doig. So it's, it's, it's the book it's the book by Ivan Doig that even Doig fans haven't read yet. And it's a novel based on a true story of a couple of guys who escaped a, like a prison camp up in Alaska and, um, canoed down the West coast. Maybe they, maybe they kayaked, uh, they got themselves down the West coast in a small craft. And, uh, I love that little book. Um, last question. I've asked this to everybody and I'm actually kind of bored of the answers I'm getting. So I'm going to ask you a variation on this question and you're the first person I'm going to ask. So, um, I've been asking everybody what their ideal sandwich is. And so my question for you is going to be to describe your favorite meal. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's good. You didn't ask me about sandwich cause I, I, I don't, I don't really eat sandwiches. I would have been at a total loss. Um, I do make a really kind of oddball meal at home that 
as it happens, just the other night I was actually saying, I don't think anybody else eats this, like in this world. Uh, I like to roast a bunch of vegetables. They can be anything, but it's usually like onions, broccoli, and cauliflower all mixed together. Roast a bunch of vegetables with uh, olive oil and salt, and then put some refried beans and cheese in the bottom of a bowl, throw those roasted vegetables on top, and put a fried egg on top of it. It's the best. That's like my favorite meal to make at home. Love it. You had me at, at, at egg. When you, If you put an egg on anything, it makes it... <laughs> yeah, put an egg on it, right? Yeah, right? A little sour awesome. cream, maybe some hot sauce. You're in heaven. Christy, thanks so much for being a part of this series. Thank um, you. And next time I'm up there, I'll be sure to come by and say hi. Awesome. I can't wait. Take care. You've been listening to Book Stories. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to shows. Book Stories is an alternate Thursdays production. Special thanks to Savannah Wright for production assistance. I'm Vic Singh. Thanks for listening.